want to start the new series. I don't know how long we'll go, but the series title will be How to Receive Your Healing. Now, you're going to see very quickly that it could, it could be how to receive anything from the Lord because we're going to talk about how to receive from God. We are living in a time where there's a lot of the body of Christ that doesn't hear a lot of the word, but, there's, but there is a part of the body of Christ that hears a lot of word, but are still having trouble laying hold of things. And I'm here to tell you the word of God is truth. It is not subject to change. Nothing can change the word. Satan knows that, right? God knows that. But the game is this. You can let go of the word as you focus on circumstances and things in life. So we're going to talk about it because the word of God talks a lot about this. So turn to John chapter 4. We're going to talk about the story where Jesus says something. He's at Jacob's well and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. But he says something very profound that we need to know about. So John chapter 4, verse 5. You guys ready? This is one of these all-night services because I haven't preached for a while. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'll get you out of here on time. We won't tell you what time, but, but it'll be on time. Praise God. John chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Then cometh he, talking about Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it was about noon. Jesus is tired from their journey, so he's sitting on this well. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus says unto her, "'Give me to drink.'" For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then says the woman of Samaria unto him. Now you could kind of see attitude in this. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. And if you were a Samaritan, there's a good reason why you would not like a Jew. Right? Because to the Jews, a Samaritan was considered unclean. So that would probably kind of tick you off a little bit, right? So anyway, this woman, she says, she goes, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So you could see some bitterness, maybe some prejudice in this woman, right? Because Jews would just look down on them. Everybody to a Jew Everybody who was not Jewish was a dog, right? Like when Jesus called the Syrophoenician woman a dog, that's what they called everybody who wasn't a Jew. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was or who it is that says to thee, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So living water, what do you think living water is? He's talking about salvation. Okay, 
He's talking about salvation here. Now, what's, you have to know this about God. God doesn't do things coincidentally, haphazardly. When he speaks, he speaks very specifically, right? He uses specific words. God doesn't do anything haphazardly. He uses specific words for very specific reasons. Well of water springing up into everlasting life. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. In the New Testament, every time you read through and, you, and it's talking about salvation, it will always talk about it as a well. Always. If you're ever reading the New Testament and it's talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it always talks about that as rivers or as a river. Okay? So let's keep that in mind. What this is talking about, and we'll see this clear as we go, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. See, Jesus knows that his redemptive work that he is on the earth to do, going to the cross to bear man's sins, to do all this, the redemptive work, he knew, he knew all that that entailed. It was much more than just, okay, I'm going to pay for the sins of the world so you can go to heaven. It was much more than that. Okay? So keep that in mind. Not just forgiveness of sins, not just going to heaven in eternity, everlasting life. So you have three really words that you see all throughout the New Testament. You have everlasting life, you have eternal life, and salvation. All three of them mean exactly the same thing. Right? They all mean what was accomplished by Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. What was accomplished in Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection is eternal life. You could say everlasting life. Right? You could, you could say salvation. So keep this in mind. And now go back to Isaiah chapter 53. Because we have to go back. Isaiah 53 is the great redemptive chapter. Nobody will argue that fact. And what I want you to see is salvation means more than just being redeemed from spiritual death. It means more than that. And you're going to see all of it right here, okay? So Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is a type of the manifest power of God. Who is, who is going to have the manifest power of God revealed to them? Only those that believe the report, Okay? All right, so this is big. Verse 2. Now you start to see Jesus. For he, talking about Jesus, shall grow up before him, his father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, 
And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So in this chapter, you're going to see Isaiah, he is prophesying of the work of salvation. Okay? Jesus says, the water that I give will be like in him a well springing up into everlasting life. Salvation, do you realize everything is in you? You've heard me say this, healing is from within. The reason why, it's in the well. And here's the thing. You have to know how to draw out of the well. And the Bible is real specific, and this is never taught, which is crazy. But that's not going to be the case tonight, right? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So now, as we go now, it's going to tell us what Jesus accomplished in his death, his burial, and in his resurrection. Okay? Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men. Now, as you read the Gospels, do you see a man who is despised by everyone and rejected by everyone? Do you see that? Great multitudes would come to him. Children are hanging all over him. So the only ones that despised him and rejected him before the cross were the religious leaders. So you're going to start to see in Isaiah 53, when is he despised and rejected of men? That was when he was hanging on the cross. That's when he was made sin so that you could be made righteous. Right? He was a man of sorrows. This is the Hebrew word macabre. Macabre. Everywhere else in the Old Testament, this word macabre literally is translated physical, physical pains. He was a man of sorrows. You could, you could translate it like this. He was a man of physical pains. Did he walk around in his earthly ministry in pain? No. When did that happen? On the cross. Okay? Now this is deep. This is so deep that people think, well, no, I understand this, Pastor. Why are we even wasting our Wednesday night talking about this? I already know. We're going to see that you can know something mental assent to it and understand it, but not walk in revelation of it, and now you won't be drawing from the well properly, and that's why nothing's happening. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is the Hebrew word koli. Everywhere else in the Old Testament, this word is translated physical sickness and disease. Okay? And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. So now, 
a Bible translator, the King, Jam, King Jimmy's guys, right, who translated the Bible, you've heard me say this, every Bible translation is going to be dependent upon the translator's knowledge of the language and also their knowledge of God. Why would they use sorrows and grief? Well, in English, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us because in English, one word has one meaning. But in Hebrew, one word can have many meanings. The foundational meaning to these two words are sickness and pains. But there is a meaning, a peripheral meaning, grief and sorrow. But the picture in the Hebrew language of this word is when you are sick or when you are in pain, it will cause grief and sorrow. And these translators are going, we can't translate this because as we go on, you're going to see translating this sickness and pain. That would mean, wait a minute, just as if Jesus died for sins just as much as he died for sickness and disease. Right? Why, why do we have such an easy time? You tell, you tell a Christian, hey, are you sure you're saved? They'll jump in your face and go, I absolutely am saved. I know I'm saved. But get to healing. Well, why is that? Because we've had, well, we've had what? A few hundred years. Especially the last hundred years inundated with teaching that, well, God heals some and not others. And, 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 and they're not teaching the Bible because that's not in the Bible. So this is important. The King James translators would pick which way to translate a word. As they were translating the scriptures, Hebrew and Greek, they would pick which way to translate a word based on the context and their knowledge of God. So like in one, in the book of Psalms, all of a sudden this translator, I would have loved to have seen his face. God made us a little lower than Elohim. I can't, no, we're lowly worms. That's the way, I mean, there's God and then there's us, so I better just translate that angel, right? Well, now with our technology here, you could just see how foolish that is, but back then people would just, they wouldn't know, Right? So literally, in verse 3, it's saying this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, because we got to know what's in the well. Okay? You got to know what's in the well. Verse 4, surely, that Hebrew word means without a doubt, he, talking about Jesus, hath, past tense, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He bore, he bore our griefs. The word bore is the Hebrew word nasah. It literally means to bear away as a suffering punishment for something so that it could never be found. 
He bore our griefs. Again, this is the word coli. Physical sickness and disease. He bore our physical sickness and disease. He bore it away as suffering a punishment for something so that it could never be found. I'm here to tell you today, if Satan is trying to take you out physically, it's illegal. He's operating illegally. He is an outlaw. You have to make him go play by the rules because he kills, he steals, he destroys. But there is a place where he can't do that in your life. That's why we stay built up in the word. He borne our griefs and carried, this word carried is the Hebrew word sabal. It means to bear something as a penalty. So he bore our pain. It says our sorrows. Again, it's the word macabre. It means he bore our pains. He bore them. He carried them as a penalty. They were to be ours. But he bore it. Okay? Yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted, afflicted. We're going to go to some New Testament scriptures on how to deal when you are afflicted. Because the Bible is very clear and it all, how it all fits together. So surely he hath borne our physical sicknesses and diseases and carried our sorrows. Okay? Verse 5. Now it's going to go into this. Look at this verse here. This is amazing. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. The word transgression means a rebellion it means a revolt. This is talking about Jesus was wounded for Adam's sin. All of us were born into sin because of Adam's sin. And Jesus was wounded for Adam's sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. This Hebrew word, as we go throughout the definition, will save some time, it's talking about he was bruised for our sins, our iniquities. So he paid the price for Adam's sin and our sin. He paid the complete price. And when he did that, that broke the power of spiritual death off mankind. Okay? Now... I've been made righteous and sin cannot dominate me anymore. I have been redeemed. My price has been paid. Right? You're not a lowly worm. You, when you sing Amazing Grace and you have some revelation knowledge of righteousness, you can't say who saved a wretch like me because you're not a wretch. I was one, right? But I'm not one. Now look at this. The chastisement, 
This is interesting. The chastisement, the discipline, the punishment, and the restraint of our peace was upon him. This word peace is the, is the Hebrew word shalom. The restraint, the thing that was restraining shalom from coming to us was placed on him. So now there is no restraint for shalom on us. Shalom means completeness. It means soundness in body. It means health and prosperity. It literally means well-being in every arena of your life. The thing that was restraining shalom was placed on Jesus. The thing that caused spiritual death to come on all of us, he paid for. Isn't that amazing? So now we're seeing that Jesus broke the power of poverty and lack, which keeps you from being shalom financially. So right here in this one verse, he's dealing with more than spiritual death. Now we got well-being in every area. Poverty and lack is not well-being at all. Big part of shalom is prosperity. And then look at this. I love this. And with his stripes, we are, isn't that amazing? He was bruised, right, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Wow. We are, present tense, what does that mean? Why does it say we are? It means this is an all-inclusive, continual blessing for all men, for all time. Now, we'll be able to back that up in the New Testament. God wanted us to know because he knew how the enemy was going to use sickness and disease. It steals well-being in every arena of your life. By his stripes we are healed. That's the word Rapha. Wow. Rapha. The first way he revealed himself to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt was I am. I am. One of his great redemptive names, Jehovah Rapha. Rapha means to heal completely. Oh, if I could just get a little bit better. Nope. God's not into a little bit better. God's into complete. To heal completely. Now, it means to mend. It means to cure. It literally means to become fresh. Wow. Don't you love it? When something in your body... You receive healing and it becomes fresh. This describes the process of healing, being restored to health, being made healthy. It's not like an instant thing. It, it Literally, the word has in it a, a restoration process. 
That's how come you can't, you, and, and, and I'll say this, you can't ever look at a circumstance to tell if the word is working. You can't, you can't tell by looking at circumstances. Okay? Keep that in mind. So then we see in this one chapter at the very end, Jesus broke the power of sickness, disease, and pain by, by his own stripes, by his own redemptive work. So this well of salvation, wow, it includes righteousness, free from spiritual death. It includes shalom, it includes financial prosperity and peace and well-being in every arena of your life. And it also includes healing of all physical illness, disease, and pain. You could say it this way, Jesus just as much died for your healing as he did for pover- to get you out of poverty and lack as he did to get you out of spiritual death. You can't separate them. And that's the term everlasting life, eternal life. That is the term salvation. This is what Isaiah prophesied salvation is. So if anybody else, I don't care how big their ministry is, I don't care how many degrees they have, I'm going to go with what the word says. So let's look at this in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Isn't this good news? I'm here to tell you if you're sick, you don't have to be sick anymore. I'm here to tell you if you have poverty and lack in your life, you don't have to have it anymore. I'm here to tell you that you're righteous so the enemy has no open door in your life. You have been given authority in the name of Jesus. And in righteousness, you'll be immovable. Your right is well-being in every area. Shalom. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, look at this, talking about how Jesus paid for and broke the power of spiritual death. For he, God the Father, hath made him, right, Jesus, to be sin for us. Sin. This word is hamartia. It means an innocent sin sacrifice. Who knew no sin. That we might be made, different Greek word, it means that we might come to be the very righteousness of God in him or in Jesus Christ. Wow. We call it the great exchange. We gave him our sin, our spiritual death, and he gave us and made us his. He didn't, he didn't set you free. He made you free. Right? The proof that you have, you got to know this. Man, I'm telling you, the spirit of the Lord is all over me. To proclaim the goodness of God. The proof that you have been made free from sin and all the death that it could produce is you have been made righteous. 
Wow. So that took care of that part of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You know, there's this great TV series uh, called The Chosen. We really enjoy it. Now, you got to know they add a bunch of stuff and whatever. Who cares? It's really cool. But the one part that really bothers me is, you know, Jesus just doesn't have anything, and they're worried about, you know, how are we going to eat, and, and he's got these old, dirty clothes. Roman, Roman soldiers, they did good financially. And they're like, let's beat him to death and crucify him, but man, we're going to have to cast lots for his garment because it's without seam. Only king wore, kings wore those things. He had a treasurer that stole from him. But every time the treasurer left, everybody thought he was just going to go give to the poor because that's what they did. Mathematically, the ministry of Jesus was massive. It says, but, but think about this. You know, and then it says at one point, he had nowhere to lay his head. Well, you know, it talked about him going into the house. You know he had a house. I know that sounds really crazy to think that Jesus wouldn't have a house. He was the son of a carpenter. He didn't have just a house. I bet it was a really nice house. Do you know how much wealth those magi would have brought Jesus? Massive amounts. Look at the lineage of Mary and Joseph. They were descendants of King David. I mean, I mean, and then forget all that. He kept the whole law. Go back and study that one. There's no way you can't be blessed in everything you do. That's how come Mary at the wedding of Cana, she's like, listen, guys, greatest sermon on faith you'll ever hear. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Because I'm telling you, everything, this, everything he does works out good. Why? He's led by the Spirit. He's always in the right place at the right time. Right? For you know the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. When did he become poor? On the cross. That you, why did he become poor on the cross? He took that upon himself. Why? That you through his poverty might be rich. That means that you might have a full and overflowing supply. Expect your business to increase. Expect your income to increase. I don't care if you're on a fixed income. Expect it to increase. God took five loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000 men and their families with plenty left over. The same way Jesus was made to be sin, he was made to be lack in every area. Jesus took our sin, we were made righteous. Jesus took our poverty and lack, we were made rich. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us when it happened, on the cross. So now, 
I love Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, because it's literally the Holy Spirit commentary. Talk, talk to anybody, they will tell you, they will fight wars. No, it's not sickness and pain. It is griefs and sorrows in Isaiah 53. And the thing that's so funny is when you sit there and go, so then what do you do with Matthew chapter 8? Because the Holy Spirit's commentary, he quotes Isaiah 53. And he calls it sickness. Look at this, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed almost all of their sick. Nope. It says he healed all of their sick. Look at this. That it might be fulfilled. Oh, see, it was fulfilled. Darn it, it's over. Right? Well, I'm sorry, but if you look in the Greek language, it would read that the fulfilling might begin. So the fulfilling began, but guess what? It's still going. There's not one scripture that says it ended. That it might be fulfilled, literally that the fulfilling could begin, which was spoken by Oh, well, wait, this is another guy, Isaiah. No, no, that's the Greek rendering of the name Isaiah. Like for me, the German rendering of Tony is T-O-N-I. But my name is spelled T-O-N-Y in English. So the Greek rendering... Of Isaiah, that's not some new prophet that you've never heard of before. Nope, he's talking about Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So Alexander McLaren, he was a foremost Old Testament commentator. He said that this verse is the most literal translation of Isaiah 53, 4. Then if you look at 1 Peter 2.24, now this 1 Peter 2.24 now is looking back at the cross. Peter wrote by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Where did he bear our sins? In his body on the tree. Romans says that all of our sins were condemned in the physical body of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago. And the word condemned means it's a once and for all judgment that can never, ever, ever be reopened. So don't beat yourself up for sin. Jesus already got beat up for it. Right? Now that'll appear like, well, what are you saying? We have a license to sin? Well, nobody needs a license, but, but this is how you walk free from sin. When you realize that you're righteous. Because holiness, your behavior flows out of revelation knowledge that you have been made righteous. Right? It says here that we being dead to sins 
should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Wow. By whose stripes you were healed. So if you were healed, then you are healed. And that's where we go tilt. Well, time out. I'm on medication. I'm, 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 get, I'm doing this. No, no, no. What does God's word say? You were healed. In other words, it was, it's already paid for. God did everything. He did everything he's ever going to do so that you could be made righteous. He did everything that he'll ever do for you to prosper and have well-being in every area of your life. He has done everything he will ever do to heal your body. Why? Because there's nothing else to be done. Now all it's a matter of is you drawing it out of the well. And it's your well. And you could draw all day everything you need. Sounds a lot like Psalm 23. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I love that. Now our part is to receive. That's, that's our part right now. We have to learn how to receive. John 4, 14 again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. I know I'm looking at a bunch of people that have drank that water. Right? We drank the water. We didn't drink the Kool-Aid. We drank the water. The living water. And that means we never thirst again. Why? Because I've got this well in me. If I ever get in a place, I, I have access to all the living water that I'll ever need so I, can, I never have to be thirsty. But many are thirsty, and we're going to deal with that. But the water that I shall give him shall be, look at these words, shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. It springs up and it makes your kidney new. It springs up and it literally changes your blood. It springs up and heals your body. Heals your finances. Brings well-being in every area as you draw it out. So everlasting life. Can we say this? Eternal life, salvation, means righteousness, right? It means shalom. It means well-being in every area of your life, including your finances, and it means healing. This is Bible truth. So now the question is, okay, how in the world do I draw from the well? Look at, look at what it says. Go to Isaiah chapter 12. Get ready to shout because you're going to learn how to drink from the well. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, this is dawning on my heart more and more. Do you know you don't have to stay where you are? 
you can literally experience the life of God and start impacting the world with this. Look at this, Isaiah 12, 2. It says, behold, God is my salvation. My Yeshua. That's the Hebrew word. It means salvation, deliverance, prosperity. It means victory. It means security. It means healing. It means health. Yeshua. God is my salvation. I am not my salvation. I'm not my security. I'm not my prosperity. I'm not my, it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the God of the universe. Wow. I will trust because of this, I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. But now wait, he is also my song. We talk a lot about you got to be strong in the Lord, but he is your song. This is so important when you're starting to learn how to draw from the well. You got to know that. He is my strength and he is my and he is my song. He also is become my salvation, my Yeshua. Verse 3, therefore. Now this is deep. Whenever you see the word therefore, you look at the preceding verse that we just read and you see what it's there for. Because God is my salvation, I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. Therefore, how am I going to draw? With joy shall you draw water out of, now I love this, out of the wells, wells of salvation. So inside you, you got this well and this living water tastes so good and it's called righteousness. And if you'll stir up joy, which is a fruit of your spirit, you can draw from that well. I don't care how depressed, I don't care what happens, you can draw that joy out of, with joy, you can draw righteousness right out of that well. You can draw shalom, you can draw finances that'll get you out of lack. Are you seeing this? Wow, you can draw, there's a well in you. Isn't this amazing? It's called healing. There's a well of healing inside of you. But to draw it out, you have to, you could only draw it out one way, and that's with joy. Wow. So think of faith as a bucket. Joy is the manner in which we draw it out. No joy, you're not drawing anything out. Oh, Father, man. My finances are a mess. Listen, this sickness is getting really bad. And if something happens to me, I'm going to lose everything. I won't be. There's no joy there. You, you literally can't draw out of the well. But, but we should never be that way. Why? Because we just found out what's in the well. Yeah. 
The God of heaven told you in the well is righteousness. In the well is prosperity. In the well is healing. So you don't ever have to be bummed out. Your body could be hurting. Things could not look good in the natural. Who cares? What the doctor can't see, no MRI can ever see, is that I've got a well in me. And so excuse me for a moment. Thank you for your diagnosis. And when I'm walking out, whether I'm taking medication, whatever, and we're going to see how to walk all this out because the Bible tells us how to walk it all out. I walk out and I stir up joy. In Romans 15, it says we have joy and peace in believing. Hallelujah. The Lord said this to me one time. And man, there's so many scriptures that he's been showing me. Do you know the energy of your spirit is faith? Do you know when your spirit hears the word of God, gets revelation knowledge, it just energizes you. It is like the energy drink of the century. It will take you from being just, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, to wow, fanatical. It's true. One of the greatest indicators of faith is joy. Faith and joy are inseparable. You draw out righteousness, provision, healing with joy. Have you ever noticed? Start to try to stir up joy. Man, the enemy will give you a hard time. What are you doing? You phony, fake. And a lot of times we'll just stop. Don't stop. Because you stir up joy. Joy's not, joy's real. Now, we have to go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. This is exactly why people don't draw out with joy. Jeremiah 2, 11. It says this, half a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods. Little vague. Let's break this down a little bit. Half a nation changed. The Hebrew word there means exchanged. Their gods. Gods. This is the Hebrew word Elohim. It is a masculine plural noun meaning God. God is the three who are one, Elohim. Have the, have, hath a nation exchanged, you could read it this way, their God, which are yet no gods, no Elohim. In other words, what it's saying is, hath this nation exchanged their, their God for something that's not a God? Now, don't get down on them because this is why we don't draw. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. So let's break this down. Glory. 
This Hebrew masculine single, single noun, it literally means honor, glory, majesty, and wealth, and it's commonly used to describe God. But my people have changed or exchanged their God for that which does not profit. Wow. The people of God change their God and their God's principles for something that does not profit. We do the same thing as we complain about our problems, which always only brings more problems. We look in the natural and we say we can't have what God says he's already given us. We've exchanged our God for something that doesn't profit. You see this? Verse 12, God's word says this, be astonished, O ye heavens. Do you know what happens? Could you imagine the angels of God who are assigned to minister for you when you start complaining, saying you can't have what God says he's given you? They're astonished because they're going, wait, wait, time out. Everything he says comes to pass. Why are, or, or what are you doing, Tony? Why are you doing this in your ability when God is saying do it in his ability? Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. Look at this, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. So we got to look at these two. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then number two, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So evil number one, I love this. Evil number one is they have forsaken my fountain of living water. Do you know how many Christians are right there? They have stopped going to the well because that, it just doesn't work. I, I just, it, it, this happened in my life. I don't understand why, so I just stopped drawing. This is exactly why this is in the word of God. They stopped going to the well of salvation. It means that literally they're refusing salvation. They're refusing healing. They're refusing these things. Evil number two, they made their own bucket, their own cistern that cannot hold water. See, you can't draw out of the wells of healing with your own bucket. You could only draw it out with faith because your bucket, by the time you draw it up, there won't be anything in it. My own bucket of, I just got to confess a hundred times a day and I just, I have to do this and I have to, that's your own bucket. Or for some people's bucket is, don't even talk to me about healing. You know, God's teaching me with this. Because, you know, God heals some and not others. And, and they're basing everything by looking at their problems and not at what God says. It means the different ideas people have, the different doctrines that are taught. 
That's not God's word. All this stuff is broken cisterns that hold no water. Israel did this, and the church does this. But no more. We don't have to do this anymore. Psalm 137, verse 1. Hang with me. i got to keep going. By the river, Psalm 137, verse 1. Now, okay, verses 1 through 4, okay, give us a picture of Israel's sadness after being taken captive, taken into Babylonian captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. These four verses, the circumstance happened in Israel's life, and they are taken captive. They are now slaves. And this is a picture of their sadness. Look at this, and we need to learn from this, because this is what we do as Christians. We get overwhelmed with the circumstance, and we get sad, which means we can't draw out of the well, because to draw out of the well, you only draw out with joy. You see that? Look at this. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst. We laid down our instruments. Verse 3. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth. That word mirth in the Hebrew language means they required of us happiness. So in other words, they're captive. The, the Babylonians are saying, we want you to sing. We want you to be happy. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Look at this. Their response was, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Pastor, I was just diagnosed with something that they say is incurable. How can I sing? This is when you have to sing. Because the only way, it's already your healing. But to get it, you got to draw it out with joy. I am here to tell you the joy of the Lord will, it's, it's just, it, all you, the, here, here's the deal. The Bible says a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. All you got to do, Father, I thank you that you always cause me to triumph. You always, gives me the, always give me the victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He sent his word and healed me. He meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That, that just, you start stirring it up and pretty soon... This, this thing that's attacking you, you're no longer looking at it. Oh, it looks like Goliath when you're looking at it, but when you look at Jesus, it looks like nothing. See, they're saying we're not going back to draw from the wells of salvation with joy. We're going to be sad because of our circumstance, because of our lot in life. How can we sing in a strange land? See, when you choose to not sing in a strange land, you are saying it will never get better. That's why we need to be drawing 
in joy. Think about our nation. Oh, Father, I thank you. Man, we've had this mess going on. I thank you that you have heard from heaven. You're coming, you're healing our land. Oh, we thank you that you're raising up people. You're moving. And all this evil, all this stuff that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy, the enemy's defeated. Now, James dealt with this. James chapter 1, verse 1. James dealt with this very thing, and we're just going to touch on it for time's sake. James 1.1. 1, 1. You know what? Forget 1.1. 1, 1. Well, no, we've got to read this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He's writing to Jewish Christians that were at one point in time part of the church in Jerusalem, but they were scattered everywhere because of persecution. And this is the, look at, look at how he jumps right into this. First thing he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations in the Greek means tests. It means trials. And here we go. It means afflictions, which is the same word used against healing, sickness, disease. What do you do when a circumstance of sickness, poverty and lack, all whatever is coming against you? Count it all joy. So we got to look at this word count. This word count, it's really interesting. In the Greek it means to lead. And it has within this word it literally means, it gives the meaning of exercising authority. You lead with this. It means to give a command. It, it means that you're considering from a place of determination. What this is saying, James is saying, when you fall into different temptations, tests, trials, and afflictions, you use your authority in the area of joy. He's saying you got to do. Why did he write that? Because it's the only way you can draw from the well. Do you see all this stuff begging God doesn't work? Because you can't draw anything with that. You have to use the authority that you have in the name of Jesus. You tell your emotions to straighten up. And you say, no, I have authority. I I am determined, I already know what Jesus said about me. I am righteous, so I am choosing in the middle of this battle that I don't care what's going on. I am drawn from the well in joy. I will have joy. And then you just start talking. And I'm telling you, things will start changing. It says here, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. See, this diverse temptations, this is pressure that is designed for one thing, to take your eyes off God. This is telling us to take action as if the situation that we're in is not dominating my life. I refuse. I don't care what it is. It will not dominate my life. I will not die. I will live and I will declare the works of the Lord. 
Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. It is not joy. You must count it joy. And this is the key. Oh, friend, we are giving you your answer here tonight. The reason to count it all joy is because you can only draw from the well of salvation with joy. See, sickness is an affliction. Poverty and lack is an affliction. The first thing you must do when these tests, trials, and affliction come is you exercise your authority concerning joy. Count it all joy. Why? Verse 3, knowing this. Why do people not count it joy? Because they don't have revelation of this. That when your faith is tried, it produces patience. You got to know that. The more you are pressed, the more endurance you have. The more you're pressed, the bigger, the bigger the enemy against you comes, the greater strength you have and endurance you have. The trying, the proving and testing of your faith, it works patience. That's the Greek word hupomene. It means endurance. It means something, it, it's endurance that grows under trial. I love one translation of this verse. It, it reads like this. Knowing that the interruption of faith's victory works patience. See, when you hear the word, you get revelation of the word. Faith is the victory. Because the minute you hear the word on the inside of you, you hear the voice of God, you already have your victory. So all these tests, when something comes against your faith, it's just a temporary interruption of your victory. Look at this. Verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire. That means complete and whole, wanting nothing. Why do you want nothing? Because you now have it. You've already believed you've received Another translation, same translation of this verse says, but let patience have her perfect work that faith's victory is restored. Wow. And then I'll close with this. Then James says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. What? Wait, no, no, time out. I'm a, I'm a faith family church guy. I don't have to ask for wisdom. Jesus has already made unto me wisdom. Yeah, that's a, different, that's a different thing. Jesus has made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification, all this stuff. But this is talking about when you are attacked. Do you realize this? When you're attacked, the first thing you do is you exercise authority and you get, you start stirring joy. Right? Why? Because you know that as your faith is tested, it produces patience. And patience, will it's an endurance that will literally undergird your mind to keep your eyes on Jesus until that thing caves in and changes on the outside. But what do I do? Do I take the medicine? Do I not? Do I have a surgical procedure? Do I not? You've got to ask for wisdom. That's what, that's what James is talking about. In the middle of your battle, 
Ask for wisdom. Lord, what, what do you want me to do? I'm not afraid. I'm in joy. I already know the answer. How do I walk this out? I'm not feeling good today. He might tell you to go lay down and rest. The next time you get sick, some attacks your body. He's like, he'll be, what are you doing laying down? Get up. Kind of like Abraham. Hey, a famine's coming. Go to Egypt. Isaac, a famine's coming. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here and I'll, be, I'll bless you. Right? Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. So when you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give you more than you need. We have all these Christians running around going, what is going on? I don't know what to do. You got to ask. Well, I'm asking. He gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. In the midst of trouble, you need to ask for wisdom that will tell you what to do. Bible faith looks at what God says, not at the natural circumstances. You cannot look at your natural circumstances and get the wisdom of God on what to do in the middle of your situation. And that's why we're, we don't know what to do. Because our bodies are hurting, the circumstance is getting worse, and I, I got to know what to do. And I'm stressed, and I'm in fear, and you can't, you'll never get the wisdom of God that way. It only comes one way. And it tells you, right? It, it goes on. It says... It says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. What do you mean wavering? I'm looking at the circumstance one minute, and I'm looking at the word the next minute. Keep doing that for a while, and pretty soon you'll be looking at the circumstance for a while, and then you'll look at the circumstance, and then you'll look at the word. And then pretty soon, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, I look at the word, and man, it's so good. And then by Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening and Monday afternoon and Monday evening and Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday evening, I'm looking at my circumstances. Wednesday all day, I'm looking at my circumstances. Then Wednesday night, I look at the word. See, no, you can't get the wisdom of God like that. If you judge the word's results from your circumstances don't expect to receive anything from God because it doesn't work that way. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man, the man without faith, the man who is looking at the circumstances instead of looking at what God said, right? Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, let not that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. Wow. Now, pastor, I could just feel it. Pastor, that, I know that's truth, but that's hard. Can, can we be honest? That's hard. Man, in the midst of my body hurting, doctors saying this stuff, finances, my world's falling apart, you just... It's really, Pastor, come on, it's really hard not to look at the circumstances. You're right. It is very hard. To be honest with you, it is impossible in your own strength. And that's why the Bible says, be strong in the Lord. Don't do it in your strength. 
Be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10. Listen, that means be continually strengthened inwardly in the Lord. Always. You rely on his strength and you could do this thing. And then he goes on and says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Faith is of the heart and is, I'm going to close right now, and is expressed with the mouth. You will have what you say if you believe what you say. You cannot look at the circumstances in your body and tell if you are healed. You can't look at your finances and tell if you're prosperous. You can't look at your marriage, at your situation, and tell if you're in well-being in every area. That has nothing to do with it. The word will change everything. So the question is, when are you going to believe that you're healed? Many are looking at their body to change before they believe that they're healed, but that's not how faith works. Circumstances do not affect God's word. God's word affects circumstances. Right? How was Abraham strong in faith? Giving glory to God. He sang right in the midst. Right in the midst of his trouble. He was strong in faith. Why? Why was he singing? Giving glory to God. When he was giving glory to God, he was drawing from the well. How much more you and I as New Testament believers who have the very Spirit of God in us. We, we have not, I mean, literally, we are righteous. What Abraham had a taste of, we have. Because Jesus went to the cross. So if, I, if you leave with nothing else, you're going to have to listen to this again. Several times. I'll guarantee it'll get better every time. I got to go listen to this. I said some things that are, there's a couple things in there. I'm like, wow. Anyway, I love you guys. We're going to draw from the well together. Amen.